Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChumbaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey guys, with sports betting season in full force with football here, you need a sports book with integrity and longevity like BetUS. You may already know this, but BetUS has been pioneers in the sports book industry for almost three decades, thriving and paying their loyal customer base. That is BETUS.com, and they have loads of bonuses. Join now or call 1 800 69 BetUS. That is 800 MyBetUS. You receive 125% sign up bonus by using bonus code SST125. That's SST125. They have re-up and referral bonuses. Also, BetUS is known among America's favorite sportsbook for lots of reasons. Bet on team and player props, loads of NFL futures, UFC matches, PGA golf, live betting on most sports. The online casino has hundreds of games. The race books has all the horse tracks. They have every bet type imaginable. Follow my lead and get your phone online and sports betting partner with integrity and longevity like I did. BetUS. You bet. You win. You get paid. Bet U.S. Good to be with you, Ryan. Yeah, I've had a good week, busy week. Hope you're doing well. Yeah, very good. Very good. And, uh, you know, we, we talk about this every week. We've only got two weeks left in the regular season for college football and you know, it's a lot of conversation and these crunch time and the excitement around these few, uh, couple of weeks is everybody's trying to make a position of where they should be. Yeah, you know, it's um, and it's this time with two weeks left where you st- and the conference championship week after that to where you really can start to see the playoff. At least I can the the playoffs coming into focus, clear focus. You know, it's it's a big blur and a million possibilities. Now there are less and less possibilities, and still a lot of football left, and and certainly chaos you know, tends to reign here in this last two weeks. But at least to me, I can kind of see to where you know the there's who's likely going to be in. And who's likely in right now that's going to have a hard time holding their position and going to be some interesting decisions that the committee has to make. And this committee seems to be struggling a little bit with trying, as a lot of them do, about how they're going to do this and do that. It's, uh, But, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. And, um, you know, there's not Georgia's just kind of lapping everybody, at least it looks like on film. And, it's about trying to figure out, okay, who can start to get a little bit hot towards the end of the year. 
it almost has a little bit of an NFL feel to it and that who gets hot towards the end of the season. And that's what I'm, I'm waiting for um, because I don't think there are many teams that are playing good enough to beat Georgia right now, but how much better can they get? Can they catch Georgia in a game where you make Georgia play from behind a little bit? Uh, it's going to be fun. I definitely want to spend some time talking about Georgia a little bit later. I'm going to ask you about the Tennessee-Georgia game. But let's go back to Alabama-New Mexico State. I didn't spend a, a ton of time, but the injuries coming out of this game were uh, impactful for Alabama. When you look at Roydell Williams going down, you look at JoJo Earl going down, and uh, some other guys that were not able to go in that particular game. Maybe that's the biggest takeaway. But anything that you could draw from New Mexico State that jumped off to you? I know we're not going to spend a ton of time, but uh, – Alabama had a clean-up game, and they had a get-right game. It seems like they did. Yeah, they did. There wasn't a whole lot that, that even just from a – we call playing a clean game. I mean, I thought it was fairly clean. The The results were were dominant. Thought they played a lot, of, a lot of guys, and sometimes you can get a little bit sloppy when you have to play a lot of guys. You've got people coming in, and, and it leads to the lack of cohesiveness. I thought they handled that pretty well. You just hit it, though. It's the injuries. It's what you worry about most at the end of the year. Um, and I think this is, uh, you know, all in all, it was a uh, – it, 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 the last two weeks are going to be interesting because they're going to face an Arkansas team and then I think an Auburn team that I don't like Auburn's chances – as much as at least if they had Patrick Nix, then you could make a case that they could, you know, maybe have a little bit of a shooting chance. But, yeah, I, I think it wasn't – not a whole lot that I learned from this Alabama team this past week, to be quite honest. You know, and, Chris, maybe the, the, the follow-up to that is, is what do you do at running back? They're going to bump Trey Sanders up from third string to second string. He'll get more – practice reps but they're having to flip guys that were linebackers over to that uh situation and they, they were able to get some in-game reps but you know a team like Alabama once again very uh short thin at that running back position they cannot afford another injury back there which uh is going to be tough to try to manage uh, as you go into these final three uh, two games and then the SEC championship if you're able to get there yeah, look, nobody's going to shed any tears for Alabama, but but let's just call it what it is. You know, relative to Alabama, what Alabama normally is, they're thin in some spots. They're not as good, not, certainly not as dominant have, have they've been in other spots um, as they've been, comparatively speaking. They're still good. You know, they're still capable, but – you know, they're not as good as they've been before. And, uh, yeah, you just, you know, you wonder, we talk a little bit about, and not to, to go back, but I I just went back in, in part of last week of who they played just to realize, and, and the numbers don't tell the, the whole story, but the film does. And when you look, and, and it's a reminder that they're, Alabama's 10th in the league running the football. And when you go back and watch the film hmm. and you say, yeah, that's what they're – Alabama, really? You know, we've talked about it all year long, the inability to run it and the inability to stay committed, which is a chicken-egg thing, right? I mean, you gotta, you got to gotta be in a position to do it and you got to be willing to do it. It's like, man, when, when does Alabama not be able to establish a line of scrimmage and run the football and, and take control of the game? Well, they're, they're not that. And so now – You've got some of the issues they worked through in the offensive line, which they're still working through. And now you, you know, you have the injuries at running back. 
you kind of wonder a little bit. It's going to be a, a little bit of a challenge yet. You know, I wonder if this is something that um, that the the head coach there, the head ball coach, can can take this underdog role and embrace it. I don't know that he can sell it to the outside public that you know they're they're quote unquote the underdog. It's not the underdog program, but when they get in in a couple of weeks, because I think they'll manage to win these next two games. We'll see. I think they will. I'm curious to see. Um, because they're they're clearly going to be the underdog in my view. When I look at Georgia and I look at Alabama, I see a team that looks clearly better. But it doesn't mean that the underdog, we see the underdog be successful a lot of times. And when you're the underdog and you have the experience level and you you certainly, even though maybe not to your capabilities or as good as you've been, that's still a pretty dangerous spot to have an underdog team, an Alabama team, but that's what they're going to be. In fact, I think some people are concerned. Well, maybe Arkansas gets them. A lot of people are spelling, hey, the old, they don't play well in Jordan Hare. They don't win. They, you know, I mean, th- there's a lot of people that are not sure they're going to win the next couple of weeks. So I think that that's maybe something that he can challenge. And I don't think there's any level of overconfidence with this team. I think it's more about can they get enough confidence and maybe get some guys to step out um, out of their shadow a little bit and become integral, you know, foundational pieces down the stretch, the stretch of the season. We're talking to Chris Landry, LandryFootball.com, the Alabama scouting report, but let's, let's spend a little time and then we'll go back to Alabama and Arkansas, maybe the final part. And we'll look ahead of the weekend and we'll talk about some games, but go back to Georgia and Tennessee for just a minute. Um, you know, you, you look at it from a perspective that Tennessee at times gave them some things to think about, uh, but at the end, I mean, Georgia is the team that pulls away. And if you look at the score, if you didn't watch the game, uh, Georgia had all the success. But there was t- there was moments in that game where Tennessee was productive, but then, as we said, Georgia pulled ahead and was able to win that game by a pretty comfortable margin. Had a good game plan going into the game offensively against this Georgia defense. They did a, a good job with formation variations and got them out of sorts a little bit. So basically they gave them some unscouted looks. They do a lot of things. So that's good to get what we call some cheap points. So as they're trying to figure it out, what the heck they're doing, they can't make adjustments because they're going quick tempo. They got an early lead. So good job there by, by – um, uh, by, by Tennessee getting it done. I thought Josh did a really good job. But as you see, as the game went along, ahead had a couple of series. You can see Georgia really do a good job. They don't get enough credit for what they do defensively, schematically, making adjustments. They're great talent, but they really adjusted and just slowed it down. Look, Tennessee wants to run the football. They want to get you a tempo. They want to get you spread. They want to run. They, they were not able to get to sustain any success with it. I thought Georgia – really made some nice adjustments. Look, we've heard this a lot, that if you get a chance to attack Georgia's secondary, that's the weaker, air quotes here, part of their defense. But is it truly weak? And I think that uh, there were plays, there were opportunities to make some plays. But the problem is, you know, people will say, well, guys were open. Yeah, they, they were open for a little bit. But look at where the pass rush pressure was in the face of the quarterback when they're open. There's very little chance of getting it getting it uh, completed. So that's the challenge against Georgia. And, 
as you look forward maybe to the, you know, what an Alabama will have to do is got to block them. It starts there. You got to block them. The ball's got to come out quick. You got to work the screen game. You got to find a way to run the football because if you don't run it, they can tee off on you and they'll bring bridge pressure on them. And you know, LSU did it because A&M did it, that Georgia's going to bring some blitz pressure against Alabama. And, you know, Alabama's chance in a game like that is offensively, can they get a lead? Can they cause some problems and make Georgia play an offensive game? Because I think Alabama's offense, if they get into like a pace, that Alabama can match up well against Georgia. But at the line of scrimmage, not so much. Um and that's what I saw with Tennessee, a really good offensive team that knows how to get some cheap points. They weren't able to even really crack that code and get as many points as I thought they would. So I, I'm really impressed by Georgia, and a lot of people have said that, well, they haven't played a really good offense. Well, I got news for you. Other than Alabama and other potential, other than potentially uh, Ohio State, they're not going to face an offense that's going to challenge them. There's really not. I mean – you know, there's not that. I mean, there's nobody that's I, – I granted they haven't played that – you play who you play. You hear that a lot, you know, but – who? no, I get it. Nobody's really challenged him. I'm not quite sure that I can come up with a lot of people that can challenge him because even the playoff contenders outside of Ohio State – and Ohio State's got a little bit more talent right now on the offensive line than Alabama, but they have some moments where they don't play well. But Alabama and Ohio State are the only two that – if they're on their game offensively, all aspects of it, they might be the only ones that could cause a little bit of a dent. And the key to Georgia, to, to challenging Georgia, is make them try to win it with the offense. Because what they're able to do is control the game with their defense so they can run the football, and they their success in the passing game is the byproduct of their ability to run and set the tempo. But if you make them play from behind, say they're down – 13, 17 points in the second half, and they have to become pass first. That's something they've not had to do, and we don't know if they can do it. But can you? are you good enough, anybody, to get them in that position? If you are, that could be the chink in their armor. But to this point, they're kind of they're kind of working with a with a with a, like a a, a a a shield around them to where nobody can even get close to denting the armor. That's going to be the interesting thing, and I don't think we're going to see. Of course, no one's going to do that to Georgia the next two weeks, so we're going to have to wait to Alabama, or I think Alabama in the conference championship game, to see if they can do anything. <clears throat> Let's break here, and I, there's two things, uh, questions that I want to come back to. I want to talk about Arkansas. We want to talk about Sam Pittman, uh, but there's also a report about LSU possibly targeting Lincoln Riley. There's one report out here that LSU has made a – a uh, pretty significant offer to Lincoln Riley. Don't know the the validity of this, but it's out there, and uh, we'll try to get an LSU update for what you can be able to tell us. That's mm-hmm. Chris Landry. I'm Ryan Fowler. This is the Alabama Scouting Report as we continue next. Slow down, you crazy child. You're so ambitious for a juvenile, but then if you're so smart, tell me why are you still so afraid? Mm-hmm. Where's the fire? What's the hurry about? 
thought you better cool it off before you burn it out. You got so much to do and only so many hours in a day. Hey, but you know that when the truth is told, that you can get what you want or you can just get old. You're gonna. Kick off before you even right, so we get right back into the game through. here in Tuscaloosa. It's the Alabama Scouting Report every Wednesday coming up at 3 to 4. We uh, spend time with Chris Landry, LandryFootball.com. Chris, why don't we stop here and talk about LandryFootball.com, comprehensive website with all the information that you're looking for. Uh, if you're talking about the college side of the NFL and, a, and an opinion that's based on your analysis from being a coach, a scout, an administrator, and uh, I think it's a unique one. Uh, tell me more about LandryFootball.com. Well, it's just that. We break down the game, uh, the games, the college game, the pro game, and literally all the games. Uh, we preview them each week. We give you a look into how we think the game may play out and the key strategical matchups, the personnel matchups. And we break down the games after they're played and give you a look at what happened, what the film room said about what happened. We do that on the college and on the NFL side. Obviously, we have a lot of recruiting information, uh, draft information, um, the coaching searches we've got in great detail. We've got all of our podcast TV shows, online TV shows that we have up on the website. So it's one-stop shopping football. You love the college game. You love the program. You love them both. You want to follow them all. You want to get a unique perspective. Very simple. Go to LandryFootball.com. Uh, take advantage of the football season sale. Try it out for a month. Uh, if you see, well, football season's almost the end. It's a great holiday gift to to consider. Try it out for a month, two months. Uh, you know, get a better deal for six months or a year. But you'll get everything all year long because football season never really goes to way. Chris uh, Lincoln Riley. There's a report out, and uh, the Volume Sports uh, has put a story out that LSU has offered. Oklahoma head coach Lincoln Riley, an eight-year, $96 million contract. We don't know the validity, or at least I don't, uh, of that potential offer. Um, any opinion? I mean, Lincoln Riley would be a big name coming to LSU if they're able to uh, to attract him, but I don't know if he'd leave Norman. Yeah, I don't I don't think he will if, if Oklahoma comes to the table with a um, requisite offer. I mean, this is – this is something that he has worked uh, behind the scenes. I think he wants to get a few more years on his deal at Oklahoma, wants to get a little more money, wants to get more for his staff. They're headed to the SEC soon, and I think he wants to – I mean, he gets paid well and he gets a lot. I think he'd probably like to get a new deal. He'd like one of those – he's got a, a buyout, not a huge buyout. If he leaves – probably would like to get that taken out too. I mean, he'd like to have the, you know, the cake and eat it too deal that some of the others have. So I think this is the whole leverage game. Now the leverage game is always in doing a lot of coaching searches is the leverage game works this way, Ryan. And anyone that's maybe done this in the job offer, you, 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 you better be careful. And I don't think that Oklahoma is going to say, no, we're not going to do it, but there's a break point for everybody. Right. I mean, there's a point in which they say, well, we're not going there. You know, we'll go here, but we're not going there. And so the leverage always has to be something that you have to be prepared to move on um, either in both sides. So I think they're going to get as much as they can out of Oklahoma and stay there, which is why he's been vague about when he's been asked about the deal, as opposed to Jimbo, 
who said, I'm, you know, I'm, I'd be a fool to leave and all that kind of stuff in Jimbo's way of putting it. Lincoln said, I'm happy here. I love here. I've talked, you know, it's because you don't want to lose your leverage by saying I'm not leaving. What I think that that having the possibility that he could leave creates the leverage. That's what I think has happened with that said, you know, if his and I wouldn't call them demands, but if he feels like, Hey, look, this is not as good as somebody else is willing to make an offer in the conference. Uh, yeah, certainly. I, I, I would, I would put it as a, maybe a small percentage chance. I think we're, we're seeing something that's interesting because it's becoming closer and closer. It appears that Mel Tucker is going to stay at Michigan state. And I can tell you that Mel's not turning down LSU. He's got Ward, and let's remind folks that Jimmy Sexton represents a number of these folks, not Lincoln Riley, but a number of the others. So he kind of knows. So the way it works in this business, folks, is you got Mel Tucker and you got somebody else, and, and look, Mel's kind of on that next group of guys where they're going to milk that and allow you because obviously you work with the agent and we'll let you go ahead and get as much as you. We don't care about you getting as much for your guy at, you know, school X. So I think that's what's going on there. I can tell you Lane Kiffin wants a job and he wants it bad. He's pushing really hard behind the scenes. He's been really down on Scott Woodard's list. Um, I don't mind sharing a little bit of it. I I have been a big proponent that they consider Dave Aranda. I think Dave Aranda is outstanding. I think he's moved to the front if he wants to leave Baylor for the USC job. I think he could have the Washington job. I think he is really bright, Ryan. I think he's a good leader. He's very organized. He can hire well. I think there's a lot of good qualities. But, yeah, if uh, – if, uh, if the Lincoln Riley situation doesn't work out and the, you know, Scott is the, the big game hunter got to get a big name, big name, you know, the big names are few and far between after that, when you start to think about it. So you can start put things together and we'll see where this ends up. There's some other names that have been, look, I can, I'll tell you this. I don't mind. Cause he told me it was okay. I talked to Brian Kelly about it. I know Brian real well. He didn't, you know, he, it never got to a discussion. He just wasn't real interested in in his age and his time, and he's happy at Notre Dame. So it never even got to a discussion stage. They, they were asking him to at least consider it, and I talked to him because I know him, and he just said it's nothing against LSU. It's just, you know, I, I'm happy here. And so I don't know that anything that maybe they'll make a run. Are you that excited about a Matt Campbell now? Do you make a run at him uh, do you try to convince Luke Fickle that that's the this is the place to be? Is you know I don't know. I, I, I think those are things I've, we've talked a little bit about Matt Rule and who's Carolina. I don't think he's necessarily interested in making that move, but it'll be interesting to see whether um, what they come up with. Look, I mean, I think Mel Tucker would have taken it. I think at this point they kind of know he's not, which tells me that. They'd probably settle, and I hate to put it this way, they'd probably settle for a Billy Napier even more than Mel Tucker. That's what my sense is if they're basically kind of cutting Mel off the leash a little bit to where he's going to re-up with Michigan State if that's what he indeed does. 
But Billy Napier may be a great hire for them if they do that, but it's certainly not the splash hire that they've been that I think a lot of folks have been expecting. But Ryan, sometimes you just can't get that. You know what I mean? You just can't get it. You just it doesn't happen. I mean, it just you know that. You guys went through it then um I mean it was Rich Rodriguez before and you turned it down before it ended up they that Mal recircled back on Nick. I mean, you just you just don't know. I mean, you just you just it's in this day and age, there are a lot of options with people making a lot of money. And sometimes they're not as comfortable. Why do I want to go into that atmosphere when I can make a lot of money where I'm at? And, you know, not everybody is, is intoxicated about your job as you might be seeing it from your angle, because it's really only how the other folks see your job compared to what they have. All right. Let's, let's go into what you said about Dave Aranda for just a couple of minutes. Understanding, and we don't know when this departure is going to happen with Texas and Oklahoma coming into the SEC, but what's going to be left of the Big 12, I think it's pretty reasonable to say that the money's not going to be as what it's been in the past. Uh, yeah, you may be able to top, you know, one of the top programs in that league, uh, but understanding that, I mean, would that be a calculation that Dave Aranda would consider, understanding that the status of the Big 12 is going to go down. How much will it go down? I think that's still to be determined, but it will uh, trend downward. Uh, David Rand has got to consider that, possibly coming back into a league uh, that has a lot of attention, and he's familiar with Baton Rouge as well. I think that Dave would have to consider, and, and another guy, Matt Campbell, would have to consider it. Now, people have come after him. I think he's got NFL future as well, but He's not been willing to leave Iowa State unless it's for the re- a really unique situation. Well, because of what you mentioned, the Big 12 not being the same Big 12, what he might want to move now. For Dave, I think, you know, timing's everything, right? I think he'd probably like to be at Baylor for two, three years. I don't think he wants to leave after two years. But timing's everything. Well, I mean, how often does the USC job or a Washington job or an LSU job come open? I mean, that's tough. I mean, timing's not ideal, but the job might be. I, I think that's the decision that he's going to have to make. Um, I, th- I I would say that all things considered, you know, um, it will be tough for Baylor to keep him because I, I think he's, like I said, I think the, the USC job and, and the Washington job, I think he's got pretty good chances at him. You know, and I, I'm just sitting here thinking, brainstorming, Dave Aranda, defensive-minded coach, when you look at what's happening over in Georgia, you know, for several years, I know I said this, uh, is is it unlikely that you can play elite defense anymore in college football? Uh, Kirby has kind of proved us wrong on that, and you can play elite defense. Uh, and Dave Aranda, because uh, for a while, it was just offensive coaches that were almost getting the calls. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, that's where the direction – and now, you know, Kirby has kind of uh, debunked that myth a little bit. Yeah, and you know what, though? In, in, in he, Kirby's done it, but what's made Kirby really good? I mean, yeah, it's the defense. But no, specifically, he is a really good leader. He's a good recruiter. He's hired well on his staff. And, and yes, it's about defense and running it, but he's also trying to, you know, to improve his offense. The thing that impresses me about Aranda is not he's a defensive coach. This guy is a really, I mean, a really smart guy, very detail-oriented. So he'd be the type of guy that not only could oversee 
the building of a defense, but also knows how what offenses would be the most difficult to defend and really would be good at helping putting in like what he look what he's done with Jeff Grimes and and bringing him over and that's I just think he's got a lot of good skill sets there that's very good he's a, a very a little more quiet very cerebral uh people think he can't recruit because he's not this like just bubbly personality he's got a good personality he's very you know very um very to the point very very eloquent in speaking. I, I think he does a good job. He does a good job of evaluating. And let's go back. I know he's the coordinator, but in 2019, that LSU team was built around the offense, no question. But you know what? When he kind of took his ego and said, hey, look, we're going to have to play good situational defense, and we're not going to get a lot of help from our offense because the offense is going to be up and down the field and score points. But when that defense needed to show up, and get off the field against Clemson and Oklahoma, two good offenses in the playoffs. They did it. They did it very well. Now, it was led by the offense getting leads, no doubt. But I think Dave knows how to build a team. I think when you hire a head coach, you got to hire somebody that can lead, somebody that can organize. Because you know what? Dan Mullen's a pretty good offensive coach. But if you can't recruit, you can't hire well, you know, you know. Uh, listen, uh, Lincoln Riley, really good offensive coach. But everything he does is slanted towards his offense, how he practices, who he recruits. And it's why he's come up short in playoffs. I mean, they're not good enough on defense. Um, you know, Lane Kiffin is a guy, it's about how his offense looks. Mike Leach, I mean, it's all, it's those type of guys, they're more, well, they're the head coach but they care more about how their offense looks because their identity is tied to that offense. I, I look at Nick Saban and look what Nick has done, and there's no one more tied to defense and what he is, but look how he has said, this is what's going to help us that the offense looks this way and we can do that. That is being a great head coach. And I think that's the difference between guys that are good coordinators and good head coaches. Calling ball plays is one thing. Being a great leader is another. I mean, Steve Sarkeesian's a great ball uh, play caller, but I'm going to tell you that will have nothing to do with his success at Texas. He's going to have to figure out how to change that culture, how to be a disciplinarian, how to put things together. I mean, leadership is a different dynamic than just, boy, this guy's a good defensive mind. This guy's a good offensive mind. Coordinating is like coaching half of a football team. So it's a good stepping stone towards being a head coach. But the difference between the ones that are just good coordinators that become head coaches and flop and the ones that become really good, in addition to the situation that they're in, of course, is the ones that are great leaders. Recruiters can hire staff, can identify those are the things that are critically important. We're talking to Chris Landry, LandryFootball.com. I want to come back. We're going to talk about Arkansas. We'll preview the weekend, but we want to touch on Dan Mullen as well, and we'll do that all next right here with the Alabama Scouting Report. That's Chris Landry. I'm Ryan Fowler. It started way back in third grade. I used to sit beside him in Hayes. A pink dress, a matching bow, and her ponytail. 
kissed me on the school bus, but told me not to tell. Next day I chased around the playground, crossed the monkey bars to the merry-go-round. And Emmy Lou got caught passing me a note. Before the teacher took it, I read what she wrote. Do you love me? Do you want to be my friend? You know, I, the, the girls across the glass, they're playing all this love songs. Okay? I mean, we, I mean, Chris, even before you came on the air, uh, I don't know. They, they may have dates tonight. I, I don't know. I mean, I may have to get some Chick-fil-A cards or some Dreamland cards or something. Uh I don't know. I mean, I, I just, I mean, they, they got a lot of love music on. But, you know, as I'm sitting there with George Strait saying, do you love me? There's a lot of coaches that are asking these athletic directors, do you love me? Do yeah. you want to be? <laughs> yes, sir. And then with, with a lot of checks, with a lot of zeros in them, man, I'm going to tell you, it is amazing where the money is going. And, uh, look, uh, we said it when we just talked about the coaching churches last segment, last couple of segments is one thing we do know that uh, guys are going to get paid and get paid even more because the agents that do this, there are very few of them that represent 10% of them represent the, the, the rest 90% of the guys. And so you can, you can sit there and kind of manipulate the situation to, to make it what you want and get more money and get more years and get, you know, more buyouts if it goes bad. And that's kind of where we are. <laughs> Chris, let me go to Dan Mullen because, you know, I talked about this on Monday, the difference between success and failure or getting fired or whatever word you want to use and how slim that margin really is. But you go back to the fourth quarter where Florida had a chance to beat Alabama. And you think about it. If, if the ball bounces another way, they get a win. And, you know, we're probably talking about a team that has momentum and they're able. I'm not saying they're going to beat Georgia, but, I mean, they have some confidence. And now you look at a loss, and it's like at that point, it just kind of hit the wall a little bit. And, and Dan Mullen finds himself in, in a lot of trouble uh, going into the final couple of weeks. Or do you believe that he's in trouble? Well, I think he's definitely in trouble. I think that what's going to happen is not completely um, decided yet. And it is a point where you go back and look off of last year, going into this year, the expectation level, as you said, um, the chance to beat Alabama and what you can build off of that it can camouflage some of the problems that you're having. And, and like you said, sometimes spur you on to good things or, or take you into depths. You know, uh, we just talked to just mentioned, how, how about Steve Sarkeesian? Four and one leading Oklahoma by, what was it, 20? Uh, uh, <laughs> and lost five in a row. And it's like it's, it's devastation over there. Jimmy Lake. 13 games. Now, there are issues off the field and recruiting problems, but that's looking more and more like Florida's situation out there out west in the northwest. So Dan's situation is, yes, we know the recruiting problems. It's uh, It's been an issue. Um, it, it's kind of reared its ugly head. Um they don't do as good a job. I think there's been a lot of emphasis on how, how great maybe he thinks he is as a coach to overcome it. Look, I don't think 
in in on people on that staff that that I know they get frustrated they they don't meet or work and talk as much about recruiting as on other staffs that that's reflective in the results on the field uh you, you don't have some of the answers it's all about players Ryan it's it's it is a lot about coaching a lot about getting those guys lined up and you know, how do you utilize them and and develop them but if you don't have players what you're developing ain't going to be good enough I mean, you just can't overcome. They've got good players at Florida, but they don't have the key ones that have the difference makers that have made the difference in the past, and they've done a poor job coaching. They've done a poor job coaching on defense. They did a poor job coaching on defense last week and before that, and it's led to a problem, a bigger problem, one of the issues of why they let Todd Granham go, and that's the other – I did a podcast on it we're having more and more of these guys getting fired during the season because of the early signing day. Because what do you do? You're going to tell the recruits that Todd Granham's coming back? Well, that's not true. You tell them that we're going to wait to evaluate at the end of the season. Well, they know what that means. Are you going to tell them that, yeah, we're bringing them back and then fire them two weeks later that you lied to them? Well, you, you just can't win there. And so you end up basically taking a staff. If they had the answers on the staff, it would have figured it out. Well, it's only gotten worse. So. Now we're at the point of, Dan, the come-to-Jesus meeting of how are you going to fix this? What is your plan to fix this? That's going to happen at the end of the year, and he better have the answers, and it better not be lip service, or it could be you know, a mutual parting. And let me just say this. Missouri and Florida State are two games that, considering how they played against Sanford, considering how they played against South Carolina and lost, he can't really lose these. I mean, if he loses these games, it's not that the loss itself, it's it's just more throwing more dirt or, you know, adding salt to the wound. But it, it, it's a further indication that he's lost complete control. And the question is going to be, can you, is it repairable? Can you, can you repair it? That's going to be the question that he's going to have to answer. So there are a couple of things I'm hearing. One, which is the most likely they finish off the last two games and he's got the right answers, he's got the right plan, he'll get another year. But if things get more tenuous and difficult, which you could see is a mutual parting of the ways, which means what? You make the money work, right? You know, he gets enough money, and could he have a soft landing spot perhaps with an NFL coordinator or something? We've talked about that. You've even mentioned that. You've even asked me, is he a better NFL coach? I mean, well, I think one of those things that if he were able to get some of his money, his ego is so big, a lot of this is going to come down to Dan. If he's got the plan and he is willing to listen and he's willing to embrace some of the ideas and maybe admit some of his mistakes, you don't have to admit it publicly, but but go and do something different, he can he can have a chance to turn this around. If the ego is too much and he fears that, look, this is not going to end well in a year, would his ego be willing to to work out a parting of the ways where he gets some of that money and he can have a soft landing spot where he can walk away and just say, look, I wasn't fired. I left. I wanted, you know, I don't know. Dan, is his ego that much to where he's willing to walk away from a few mil and take a few mil? I think we're getting ready to find out. I think – not only the next two weeks, but the meetings that follow up that is going to determine. It is not a certainty that he returns. I, I, I would think he would, 
but I certainly thought he would before the South Carolina and the Sanford games. We start to have another one of those two weeks. We're further down that rabbit hole of, man, I just don't know. Chris, let's bring it back to Alabama and Arkansas. And first off, let me evaluate or ask you to evaluate Sam Pittman, uh, what he's been able to accomplish in year number two in Fayetteville. And he's got the Razorbacks fans believing, uh, you know, with a chance to possibly walk out of here with eight, nine games, including a bowl game. Uh, When you look at Arkansas, evaluate what Sam Pittman's been able to do in year number two. Well, I think what he's done in two years, it's the first, it's the, it's the ideal example of how do you get better when you're really bad? L- let's go back and remind folks, was it was it two years they didn't win a game or even longer in the league? It was, yes. So you think, all right, well, how, they're really, okay. Well, when you're that bad, you're you're doing things, creating negative plays and making dumb mistakes and are undisciplined because while your talent level had issues, it was more about how you play. So the first step to winning games is to learn how to not lose them. And that's what he did last year. He didn't beat themselves a great deal. Um, they play smarter. They're more physical at the line of scrimmage. Now, this year they've actually made more penalties and made more mistakes. But they still find a way at the line of scrimmage to play very well. And he's hired very good coaches, good staff. He's got a very good defensive coordinator in Barry Odom that limits the big plays. They're very underrated in the secondary, particularly at safety. He has brought in a number of transfers and a couple of super seniors that have helped this team to take a next step this year. So they find ways to win games. Even in the early part of the year, they weren't playing, you know, they're making some mistakes. They were still finding ways to win games for the most part, beating an AM team and a Texas team. And I know maybe – Texas doesn't look like much, but he's beaten a Texas. That was the one loss that Texas had when we were talking about being four and one. So he's physical. They don't make as many mental errors and they keep themselves in games and they win close games. And on the offensive side, I, I mentioned, I think Kendall Browse does a really good job. They've got a quarterback that's maturing. KJ Jefferson is really big physical. He'll look a lot like what Cam Newton looked like. I mean, he's athletic and big and physical, and you have to defend an extra gap in the run game. And he can, if you play him off the run, he can make some plays in the pass game. Really good defensive effort. They play hard. They were so poor on defense when when Chad was there. That's what's made them good. So you got to go in and beat them. And that's not easy to do because they're not going to beat themselves as much as they've been before. Um, You know, they still struggle some against some blitz pressure. They'll still struggle with some speed and quickness. So yeah, you can, you can, you can beat this team. And and I would expect this Alabama team is going to see some interesting looks defensively. I'm curious to see what Barry does. Barry doesn't like to bring a lot of pressure. I would think due to the success of A&M and LSU, you would want to bring some extra pressure against Alabama. That That's what's worked. So I'm curious to see what he does there, whether he can create some ne- negative plays, but also think you can have some success if you're patient against this Arkansas defense. So good team, a challenging team, very capable of beating you if you don't play well, um, but probably a team you should win if you do play well, if you're, if you're Alabama, of course. 
Let me quickly, I'm going to go to Max and Pinson. Uh, Max wants to jump in. Max, I got to make it quick because I got to get Chris out of here. We've only got a couple of minutes before break. Uh, Max, if you can ask your question, I really appreciate it. I hope all is well. Yes, okay. Yeah. <clears throat> Hello, Chris. Hey, Max, how are you, buddy? Thanks for calling. Hey, I'm doing great. It's, Ma- it's Mac, it's not Mac. Anyway. Mac, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> my, my apologies. <laughs> anyway, um, I was, I've was i been thinking quite a bit about Georgia, and, you know, we don't know if we're going to be playing them. hope so. But uh, I just think they could uh, – if we play great defense against them, we're, we're capable of that. And if we can play great defense against Georgia, they're going to have uh, problems scoring also. Yeah, well, and, no, uh, no I, doubt. You've you, you got to play great defense against them. You've got to stop the run because that's what they want to do. Uh, and if you can stop the run and, and give some split safety looks – uh, yeah, no, that's, that, that is something, that's a challenge that they've not faced a lot because people don't stop the run consistently. So that's going to be the key. Yeah, You're going to have to defend the run. Yeah. And, and yeah. And to put heat on their quarterback, cause we got the, uh, edge rushers, uh, they're coming along right now. I think we might could do that. But, uh, if you, did you notice the guy, uh, backup quarterback, Jalen Milrow? Yes, I did. Yes, he's very talented. They love him a lot. I'm glad. They played four quarterbacks in that game. I'm glad they were able to work those guys in. Uh, yeah, I think he's got a lot of potential down the road. They like him a lot there. I mean, they think he's the the next the next great one. We'll see how he develops. Hey, Mac, I got to I got to get ready to uh, to get out of here the top of the hour break coming up in a couple of minutes and uh We'll stop it right there. Chris Landry, LandryFootball.com, LandryFootball.com. If you love football, you're always going to love LandryFootball.com. And right now, all the coaching uh, moves is very intriguing, and Chris can provide some insight on the podcast, the Twitch TV, the social networks. If you're not following Landry Football, you should. Uh, If you love football, you'll love LandryFootball.com. Chris, I appreciate you. Hope you have a great rest of your uh, Wednesday and a great weekend. Thank you for being a part of our show. Thank you for having me. Enjoy the games. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.